know, once in a while you're reading a verse in the Bible and it pops out like you never read it before and like it could be a screensaver? I've got a screensaver for you this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. It's a verse I've read probably a hundred times, but it never hit me. I frankly never even paused in reading it. It's, it's not located in Hebrews as one of the Hebrews verses that's like written in neon. It's, uh, I've never preached on it. I've never heard a message on it. And I've, I have never come under this verse. But this morning, I bring it to us because it's hit me between the eyes. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, I didn't even know I had powers of discernment. You can say to yourself right now, I've got powers of discernment. But, but are your powers of discernment being constantly trained so that you, because of those powers of discernment, you can distinguish good from evil. This is the issue before us today, and I want to submit to you, there is no more important issue in our generation than for us as a church to be able to distinguish good from evil. Now, as a parent, I, I was a decent parent when the kids were small, and I, I clearly taught them what to do that was right and what not to do that was wrong. I, I clearly, we, we did pretty good at that. Fortunately, when they were like eight and nine, uh, God showed me, man, you got to do better. What are they going to do when you're not around? If all you do is to teach them what to do, you need to teach them your values so they know how to make decisions based on those values when you're not around. So I upped my whole parenting thing, and what I went into what I call now, uh, it's the second stage of parenting, but there's a third stage. More than just learning to do or learning to decide is learning to discern. And that's what we're talking about this morning. This is based on values, but it's also based on an inner compass that everyone's born with, but it's the one we're born with has been busted. It's there, but it needs to be restored. And that compass inside has the potential of, of the power of discernment. But unless it's trained constantly, constantly being trained, as it says in this verse, unless it's being constantly trained to distinguish good from evil, we have no more relevance to this society than the sports bar down the street. If the church does not develop and take seriously our responsibility before God and before our neighbors to develop the power of discernment. 
we will lose all relevance altogether. Now, if you've been mocking your elected officials because of decisions that are being made, or mocking the school board for decisions that they're making, or mocking this or that and the other sources, uh, the, 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 the musicians of our day or the philosophers of our day, the culture icons of our day, if you've been mocking them, rather than looking in the mirror, it's time to repent. God is not expecting the powers of discernment to come from Congress or the Oval Office. God is expecting the powers of discernment to come from His people. Now, this is a call for maturity. It's a call to grow up. And if we have not been intentionally developing our powers of discernment, we are babies. We're immature. We're underdeveloped. We are not able to offer to our society what our society so desperately needs in the day we live in. When I was in grad school, uh, there were thieves that broke into a department store. And um, the alarms went off and the police came, the owners, the managers of the department store came and they checked everything out, and all the merchandise, all the inventory was still there. But when the store opened the next day and people began coming in and taking stuff to the cash register, they, they figured out what happened because one lady brings a, a full-length mink coat for $2.95. And somebody else brings flip-flops, rubber flip-flops, um, marked 4000 $385. And what had happened the night before is the thieves that broke in did not leave with merchandise, but they changed the price tags. And, and so that was the ha-ha-ha of their, of their escapade. Well, brothers and sisters, we are living in a day when, when thieves have broken in and changed the price tags. And the responsibility is on us as the church of Jesus Christ. This is one of the roles of the church today is to be, to be developing our powers of discernment so on behalf of the culture we can speak truth and, and help speak in a day where the price tags have been changed. Um, Hebrews is a book of the Bible that was written in a day when the price tags were changed. Where thieves had broken into that culture and switched the price tags and uh, they were in danger of altogether losing their powers of discernment. But even to this group of underdeveloped spiritual babies, the exhortation is calling forth repentance and to now allow those powers of discernment to be developed by constantly practicing distinguishing between good and evil. Now this whole matter of distinguishing between good and evil did, didn't start here in, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, this may be a new concept to some of us, but this has been in God's heart from the beginning. 
when God established the garden in the Garden of Eden, God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden. Except there's one. Because if you eat from that one, you're going to die. Now that's like you could drink from any bottle in, 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 in your closet, in your pantry, except the one marked poison. If it's got a skull and crossbones, you stay away from that bottle. Well, of all things, they might have sampled a few other bottles, but they went and grabbed the one labeled with a skull and crossbones, and they, they drank the poison. The poison is moral disaster, violating God's eternal principles. And, 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 and the, the, the fascinating thing of this, that moment in history was the man and the woman who made the decision to drink the bottle labeled poison, they didn't have sin yet. So is it any wonder now that we're all tainted with sin, we're all, our scales are busted, we, we can't on our own uh, distinguish good from evil, is it any wonder that our society is quick to grab for the bottle labeled with a skull and crossbones? Is it any wonder? If, if those that before. And the issue was this matter of distinguishing good from evil. What was the tree labeled? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the, the jeopardy, the, 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 the result was death. Because whenever you fail to distinguish properly good from evil, it always will result in death. Well then, God raised up a, a whole nation so that his son could be born from that nation, the, the nation of Israel. And and God raised up leaders for it, and among them priests. And the priests were given one assignment. Listen to that assignment, one ultimate assignment. Le Leviticus 10.10. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. Now think about this. One of the high-level roles of of the priests in Israel, and they had a lot of other low-level roles, but one of the high-level was on behalf of the nation of God's people was to distinguish for them good from evil. Then, then almost 800 years later, Ezekiel comes along and preaches that law that God gave Moses to the children of Israel as a rebuke to the priests Ezekiel 22:26 it says they have made no distinction between the holy and the common neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean so what was the issue the whole nation was in in jeopardy because those charged with distinguishing between good and evil failed Isaiah rebuked his people for switching the price tags and not being able to tell the difference. Isaiah 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What's the problem? The problem is they now were at a place and there was a woe, a judgment of God on the children of God because they lost their ability to distinguish good from evil. They did not learn to discern. And church family, God has charged us, you and me, with the responsibility of 
living in a way that we continually practice distinguishing between good and evil so we can develop our powers of discernment. Who's with me? This is categorically one of the do-or-die issues of our day. If the church does not get this one right, and I don't mean just our local church, but if the church in our nation does not get this right, we will lose our very core. We will touch the brainstem of our very existence. And death and devastation will be the result. Now, God never gives a rebuke or a warning without giving answers, without a call to come. The very fact that God gives a rebuke is an evidence that He loves us. And God loved the believers in the first century enough to rebuke them over their baby-like behavior, their immaturity, so that they might come back and let Him retool them and develop within them the powers of discernment. And so we find here in the end of Hebrews 5, beginning with verse 11 through 14, specific ways to come back and allow Him to develop our powers of discernment. It begins verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. I circle those words, dull of hearing, and put a line off to the side. I'm going to tell you what that means. It doesn't mean physical hearing. It means that they heard the word, but they didn't do the word. Hearing without doing is disastrous for the church for the people of God. And here in the first century, they, were, they became hard of hearing because though they kept being taught, they did not do. They didn't obey. This is why in the two preceding chapters, Hebrews, 4 and Hebrew, uh, Hebrews 3 and 4, four times God repeats, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as you did. Today, when you hear my voice, today if you hear my voice, today if you hear my voice, this echo of today if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Why four times? Because they became dull of hearing. They became dull of hearing. They heard and did not do. And that is a sure disaster for losing our powers of discernment. If you are a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you will never develop your powers of discernment. Discernment is learned more by your morality than your theology. And let me explain this. Why do we have so many evangelical leaders wipe out, find out that they're doing this cross-dressing, they're, they're molesting children, they're doing all these, these horrible things, perverted things. Why, 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 why? How can all this be happening? And, and, they're, 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 and yet they're preaching every Sunday and they've got churches with thousands and television ministries and writing best-selling books and all this ridiculous stuff. How can that happen? Well, I'm going to tell you how it happens. You see, if, if a pastor is not under the word to conform his life 
and his morality under the authority of God's Word, here's what happens. His morality then only has one choice. The only alternative to being under and being shaped by the Word of God is for our morality to be shaped by our lower nature. It's the only other option. There are no two options. There are no three options. It's two. Either the Word of God or your lower sinful nature. And if you, if anyone allows their morality to be determined by their sinful nature, that morality or immorality will now determine your theology. And it's happened all over the world. It's especially in our nation. And so you've got growing large churches with seemingly significant influence led by pastors and leaders who are worshiping a small God with a compromised theology because of a compromised morality. And they have so diluted down with mistaught grace theology that they're completely lost their ability to discern and distinguish good from evil. And those churches, while they may have 3,000 next year and they had 2,000 this year and they had 1,000 the year before, they have lost their relevancy. The relevance of a church in our day, in a culture where our nation has switched the price tags, the relevance of a church can be gauged on that church's ability to distinguish between good and evil. And if your pastor, those that you're listening to, those that you're reading, are not teaching a clear message and calling continually to repentance, confession of sin, of pointing out black and white, moral right and moral wrong, if that pastor leader is unable to do that, you need to find a different church. This is not a secondary issue. For the people of God in our generation, this is core. This is central. This is primary. So the first issue, the first rebuke here is, you guys are dull of hearing. But the, the antidote, so that will diminish your powers of discernment, but what will raise your powers of discernment? By bringing your morality under the authority of God's Word. Hear and obey. Hear and do it. Don't just hear it. Listen for something to obey. Read for something to obey. Then we come to the next verse. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. Well, so how do you tell a teacher? A teacher, let me, let me give you a word here that you can put next to verse 12. And it's self-feeder. Self-feeder. God, I want you to know, God wants you to be a self-feeder. 
It's not that you don't need good messages on Sunday. It doesn't mean that, that the, the role of the pastor and the, the preacher, the, the prophet in the house, it, it loses his relevance. No, the, that, that role still exists. But God wants you to not wait for me to digest your food and spoon feed you baby food. God wants you to become a self-feeder. A self-feeder is the difference between those that need to be taught and those that, that are teachers. It, and God wants every one of us to be a teacher. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to stand in front of a, a group with a microphone or you're going to be the teacher in the Sunday school class or the home group fellowship, the Bible teacher. That, that, that's not the point. But God wants you to be practicing the Word of God so, and feeding your own soul from the Word of God so that you can share with your spouse, so you can share with your children, you can share with your neighbors. And the best way you can teach is by example. You living the Word is the best way you can teach anyway. Then we come to verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the Word of righteousness since he is a child. Now, that's a pretty stiff rebuke. I mean, imagine calling a bunch of adults a bunch of babies. That's basically what he's doing. This is a rebuke. This, this is more than a warning. Well, there's one word I want you to circle and put a line off to the margin. It's the word unskilled. Unskilled. This means one thing, and it doesn't have anything to do with your education. It doesn't mean, did you go to Bible school? It, it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're able to train evangelists or missionaries or church planters. That's not what it means by unskilled. Unskilled means one thing. It's the word inexperienced. What determines... Your level of maturity is your level of experience. Have you obeyed or not? If you've obeyed, then you have experienced the blessing of God that comes as a result of obedience, and you are living a life where you're not letting your lower nature guide you and make decisions for you, but you're bringing, bringing under submission your mind, will, and emotions to the authority of God's Word and God's Spirit. That's someone who is skilled, being trained and developed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, taking dominion over you so that your lifestyle is saying, oh, magnify Christ. May Christ be magnified in me. That's what this is calling for. And if you're not, if you can sing it on Sunday but can't live it on Monday, God's calling you to repent. God wants you to be skilled. He wants you to develop your powers of discernment so that through continuous practice you are distinguishing between good and evil. And tomorrow morning or to this afternoon when you go home, you're going to have choices where you can distinguish good from evil by doing what's right. Hallelujah. So this past week, packages started showing up at the Coomers' home in New Jersey. Uh, they're a family of, of five. Uh, they have uh, uh, three wonderful children. And when these packages started uh, showing up, the, the, the dad 
gets mad at his wife and says, honey, usually you check with me when, when you order stuff. And here, these, I didn't hear anything about this and all these packages. And she says, I didn't do it. She says, he says, well, look at this, look at this uh, receipt here. It showed it was ordered from your phone. This is your credit card. And it was ordered from your phone online, Walmart. But I didn't do it. So, so they look at the, the, the older brother. I didn't do it. They look at the middle daughter. I didn't do it. And then they look at the little kid. Now, the kid is 22 months old. But it's a COVID kid. So for the past 22 months, this kid has developed his powers, not of discernment, but his powers of the thumb. And, and, and he spent $1,700 on stuff from Walmart that showed up at their door. Hallelujah! Now, that's a hilarious story. you, you got to admit, that's a funny one to start the new year. It's good to laugh and at the funny stuff that's going on out there. But, but here's the point. We have handed, we have abdicated our abilities to distinguish between good and evil, and we've handed it to children. We've got first graders having to make decisions on their gender preference. What in the world? I, I was in college before I even thought about gender preference. What in the world? First graders! Oh, far more costly than handing a child, a 22-month-old toddler, a cell phone and orders on the, on the Walmart app that already had programmed the mother's credit card, and all he had to do was pick a few items and put in the shopping cart and hit the, hit the green button. We've abdicated. But more important than getting angry at the local school board or the, the nonsense in, in Washington, D.C., this is laid at our doorstep. This is the church's issue. The church. No, I set before us a verse we would all do well to put as our screensaver. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now really, it's, here's the dividing line between maturity and immaturity. Between who's ready for solid food or who's ready for milk. Those who hear and obey or those who are dull of hearing. The self-feeders are those that need teaching. The experienced or the unskilled. Those with powers of discernment or the gullible. Those able to distinguish good and evil and the morally confused. That's the difference. No, this is, this message is for every person in this room. I call you. Don't be a hearer of the word 
be a doer. Be a doer of the word. Take seriously the doing of the word. I want to just give a, a practical thing for me. This is, uh, this is hard to believe, but when I was in college, God hit me with this, be a doer of the word. And I'm going to tell you how it happened. I was sitting in, in I was, attended a Christian college, Wheaton College outside Chicago. I was sitting in a student body of about 2,100, and um, it, chapel was going on, and I was sitting there watching the students, and everybody was watching, reading their sports illustrators, studying for an exam. Nobody was paying attention. And I felt kind of smug because I was one that was paying attention. And, but I was mocking. I was sitting there criticizing the way the guy was dressed that was speaking. And he had no illustrations. And it really wasn't the word. He was preaching out of some journal. And it was like, oh, the most boring. And I was sitting there mocking the guy. And, and the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? He said, uh, I don't like this guy. And the Lord says, I don't like your attitude. And he says, uh, you become a mocker. Well, that, that was a low blow because I, I knew one of my core scriptures that I've memorized from when I was in high school is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners or stand in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of mockers. So I, I knew this. And now I'm sitting in the seat of a mocker. I'm a mocker, and I'm sitting with, with mockers, and I, was, I had a mocking spirit. Well, the Lord broke me. I said, Lord, I repent. He says, I want you to start. Every time you read the Bible, I want you to look for something to obey. And every time you hear a sermon, I want you to listen for something to obey. And if the, you don't like the way the guy's dressed, that's your problem, not his. Listen for something to obey. And if the guy doesn't use fancy illustrations, listen for something to obey. And if he doesn't have a good outline, listen for something to obey. And if he can't stick the dismount and, and uh, have a nice punch at the end and an application, listen for something to obey. If he doesn't give you something to obey, listen to me, because I'm going to give you something to obey. It changed my life. It absolutely, from that moment on, it completely changed my Bible reading. Every, every time I, I listen and every time I preach, it was changed in, in, a, in a chapel with a bunch of Christians listening to the Word. Now, in chapel at Wheaton College, they have chapel five days a week. Now, almost every class would have a little devo to start. So you go to five classes a day, plus chapel, that's six times a day I'm hearing uh, messages. So, like, my practicing had so worn down that I was listening and not obeying. But it completely changed from that day forward. And God changed my heart. God taught me in that environment how to listen and obey. And that was the beginning of God developing my powers of discernment. So, you will never help anybody else develop their powers of discernment if you're not living under the Word of God. If the Word has not shaped your own morality you will never have powers of discernment. But now for parents. Parents, I want to up your game. I want to call you to the, the, the next stage of parenting. Parenting starts, you teach them what to do. You know, don't run out in the street when trucks are going by. Don't put your hand on a hot stove. 
don't jump in a pool until you learn to swim. I mean, there's simple things, but you, you teach kids what to do and what not to do. But then stage two is you, they, they need to learn to decide, not just to do. How to decide, and for that there's values. And if you haven't started teaching values, you need to, this is the next stage. But if you've been teaching values, the, really the third stage of parenting, and this is where our prayer lives come in, because ultimately uh, the Holy Spirit has to teach you to, to discern. But the power is, when, when you want your child to learn to discern, it's really the third stage of parenting. The third stage of parenting. Because the questions that our children are having to answer today, we weren't even asking when we were that age. Well, what's to say 10 years from now, the, the questions aren't going to be even unthinkable today? Now, the bottom line of learning to discern, and this is kind of the whipped cream on top maybe, or the cherry, or the hot fudge. Give me some more hot fudge. I'm fasting. I haven't had hot fudge for 20 uh, for. 20, 10 days, seems like 30 days, hallelujah. So, it's funny when you're fasting, you use food illustrations, they just come naturally. But you know, bottom line, it is the word, but there are a lot of, there are a lot of idiots, moral idiots, who know the Bible better than you do. But you know what, what you can't deny? It's not reading the Bible. You can read the Bible and not have any powers of discernment. But I'll tell you something that will give you powers of discernment like nothing else. Spending time in God's presence. If you are in the manifest presence of Christ, God's Spirit will put morality in you that goes beyond your cognitive ability. Everyone in the scriptures that God led in repentance, he led them to repentance in his presence. Anyone that, that, that encounters the holiness of God, it's because God reveals that holiness. And that's why the whole call this year for us as a church and in the book of Hebrews is let us come with confidence before the throne that we may receive. Let's draw near. Drawing near is the key to developing powers of discernment. I was looking this morning so much enjoying the worship and looking at our banners in this room. Sometimes when a banner's there uh, for long enough, you, you take it as like paint. Like it doesn't mean anything. These are not just our core values. It's more than that. These are how we express God's call on us. And they're shaped like spears or like swords because these are His idea, not ours. So He stuck these four on us. He put on us, exalt Christ. That's the heart of everything we do. Exalt Christ. If it doesn't exalt Christ, we don't want to. The second banner, the first way that we exalt Christ is to love our neighbors. Love the people right next to us. The people sitting next to you in the room. Sitting across the room. These people. 
and those you live next to, the cubicle or, or the, the, guy, the, the classmate that sits next to you. It's to love people, to love neighbors. And in our area, the third one is just, it, it totally makes sense, to embrace nations. God's called us to embrace nations, not just people who are like us that sit near us, but people who are quite different than us, at least on the outside, to, to embrace them. But this morning's message is more about the fourth one, to empower the next generation. Because if we are not, if we are not practicing morality, if we are not living a lifestyle that is basically by lifestyle saying, oh, Christ be magnified in me, we have nothing to give the next generation. But when we allow our lifestyle to be conformed by the Spirit and by the Word, God will develop in us powers of discernment that we can constantly practice distinguishing good from evil. And that's the hope of the next generation. Would you stand with me this morning as we respond to God's Word? Father, we stand before you in your presence. Come and fill this house with the holiness of God. Come and make your holiness known among us. Manifest your holiness in all of our screen time, in all of our investing, in all of our online purchases, in the way not only that we relate to our children and each other, but with those in our community. And Lord, we confess that we have done a shabby job developing our powers of discernment. We feel immature and we repent. Put in our heart a shift, shift inside of us so that, Lord, we long for the truth of your word that we live in ongoing repentance, that we call sin, sin. And, but we, we don't want to call it sin in anyone else. We've got to call it sin in us first. And Lord, we come humbly before You. Thank You that Your Word is living and active, that it's active, it's constantly, and it's not only living, it's life-giving. Lord, we welcome your word. And here in this house, would you give us the legacy of, of God passing on to the next generation the ability to distinguish between good and evil regardless of how popular or unpopular that may be. In Jesus' name.